Good morning, good afternoon, everyone, depending on where you live in this fantastic world of ours. Uh, welcome to the Be Real podcast. I am your host, Michelle Demiria. Happy Monday, everyone. I'm so excited for our next guest. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce you to Libby. Libby, thank you so much for joining us this morning, afternoon. <laughs> Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, why don't we just dive right in? Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Do you have any favorite hobbies, movies, music that you like to listen to? Oh my gosh. Well, you hit a topic right there. So I love to dance. So music is my thing. And I'm super into Kygo right now. So I don't know if you've heard of, of Kygo, but he's a, a DJ and he just has the best dance music. And so I love it. <laughs> um, I would say one of my favorite things to do is to be out in nature. So I live in Michigan. And one of the things I've been doing a lot is just spending time on the water. Um, I mean, we have winters here. No, you don't have that. It doesn't get as cold in Arizona. <laughs> so we really only have three or four months out of the year where we can spend as much time outside as we can. So I would say those are some of my favorite things um, that are immediately coming to mind. Our winters consist of below 100. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been getting into the 90s here in Michigan. Believe it or not, we've had a really hot summer. Um, but I would say this is pretty unusual for us at the same time. <laughs> yeah, um, we we're a heat advisory for us this week. One tens are back in the in the forecast for us. So we're like, yes. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the big things that is, has impacted a lot of people is mental health in the workplace. I know that people yeah. I've talked to they're nervous about getting a job because they do have a mental illness as much as I don't like using that word. You know, they may have PTSD, bipolar. Do you have any tips or resources from your own personal experience, how to help people kind of navigate through the workplace when it comes to mental health? Oh, gosh. So this is a loaded question. I could go in a lot of directions. So I'm just going to start talking and let me know, um, you know, if you have any other direction you prefer to go. So I spent over 10 years in human resources in the corporate world. And really my own journey and struggles with mental health conditions is really what has gotten me here today. So I'm a mindset coach and I'm a, the co-founder of an organization called Blue Wave Wellbeing. And we um, are about bringing well-being to the workplace. And this was because I, I specifically worked in startups and one of the things that I saw was that we get bought into this work hard, play hard mentality, and that can impact um, us on so many different levels. And as you know, um, mental health conditions come um, with a variety of different types of symptoms. There's different triggers for them. There's different degrees of severity as far as risk level. And the reality is, is that for me and personally, where I found a peace of mind where I was able to control my anxiety, where I was able to find more joy and happiness in life, really started by forming um, a, a practice to help me cultivate mindfulness. And it really started with meditation and it started with really focusing and giving myself permission uh, for self-care <laughs> more than anything, I think. I, it was permission to take care of myself first in order to be able to give to myself, so to give to my team, to be able to give to my organization. And I think now this is my fuel for what I do now is because I have been able to turn my life around and go from surviving to now thriving, not all, all the time, because as you know, there's different experiences, especially uh, given the global pandemic right now that impacts our mental health and so many different uh, variables. And so I would just say that more than anything, when we think of mental health in the workplace, um, 
gosh, there's so many things to think about. And so I don't know if, if the first thing maybe we should be talking about is what is well-being? How do we experience well-being? And then maybe talk about, okay, so how can I as a leader within my organization cultivate well-being amongst my team? Or how can I cultivate well-being within myself? So I can't control external, the external circumstances right now of what's happening with COVID, but I can control how I show up. I can control my uh, emotional reactions to the best that I can. I can control um, filling up my own cup. And so for me, well-being is this idea of focusing on the mind, body, and spirit. It's focusing on um, positive relationships and positive emotion. It, it means connecting to a deeper meaning and purpose in life. It means um, feeling engaged in life. It means, yes, obviously taking care of our physical health as well, you know, getting the grass, nourishing food and exercise, but we need all of these things to experience well-being. And so I think when I think of the workplace, you know, a lot of workplaces are really good at offering um, benefits within the wellness space. So wellness for me is like physical health. So we give gym memberships, we have vacation time, um, where obviously people are working from home, so we're equipping them with the tools in order to do that. Maybe we bring in, uh, we have healthy snacks in the office, but we're really missing this piece around well-being, which is how can I give my employees or create a culture to help my people thrive um, by giving them the life skills that they need to feel good? Well-being is about feeling good and functioning effectively. That's what this is. And, you know, so many of us are experiencing um, vast amounts of, you know, irritation and fear and worry right now. And the data is coming out to validate this. I mean, I, for one, know um, what I'm experiencing. And I have a lot of my coaching clients and corporate clients, you know, saying the same thing that, yeah, our people are stressed. Yeah, I'm worried. Yeah, you know what, now I have to homeschool my kids and I am just beyond, um, my, my cup is overflowing so much, the, uh, the responsibilities that I have right now are beyond what I should really, a human should be able to be managing right now. And our mental health is being impacted in so many ways. So I'll kind of stop there. I know I didn't name specific tools, but I'm happy to get into some more techniques around what is mindfulness and how can we as leaders kind of set our people up for success. Those are really good, and like meditation, I hear is really good. But for some of us, like for me, I can't do meditation because of my back. I had back surgery, and so I have to be really careful with movement. And I'm about ready to have my second back surgery in the next couple of years. What are some other ways we could, you know, really kind of get grounded without maybe doing meditation? Or are there other form of meditations that we could do if we can't do all the different, you know, poses and positions and things like that? Uh, I love your question. Okay, so this is when I can totally geek out on just the idea of meditation. So meditation for me is a form of mindfulness and mindfulness is simply a way of being. And meditation, you can really meditate anywhere. There's thousands and thousands of techniques. You could be in a sitting meditation, you could be lying down in meditation, just don't fall asleep when you do it. <laughs> you could be doing a walking meditation out in nature. You could be sitting in a chair, uh, listening to the waves. So meditation is just a tool to help us um, remember the silence that is already there. So we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. So meditation is not about um, completely quieting the mind. It's not possible, but it is about experiencing um, the silence that already exists within us. And so we might even have that just for a split second. 
But the power in meditation is that it teaches us to break up uh, thinking patterns, habitual ways of acting that might cause suffering. So when we can sit down and just focus on our breath, you could do a simple breathing exercise where you breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, and then just kind of sit there in meditation and maybe you're just you continuing to focus on the breath or maybe as you're sitting out in nature, you're just trying to identify all the different chirps of the birds, maybe even. That could be meditation. So meditation doesn't mean necessarily that you're sitting in a lotus position. That would be with your, your legs crossed like a pretzel and your hands sitting out in a mudra. So for me, most of the times when I'm meditating, I'm just sitting in my chair. My hands are comfortably resting. My feet are flat on the ground. And I might even put a pillow. A pillow would be a great way to support your back in meditation. And the beautiful thing about meditation is science is showing us that you only need, you know, three to five minutes a couple times a week to receive benefits. So it doesn't have to be that much time. Um, so that's for me kind of what meditation is. And there are, you know, you could go on apps like Headspace and Insight Timer. Um, Deepak Chopra and Oprah Winfrey have a, a great 21 day meditation experience app. Um, that's an amazing resource. And these are all guided meditations. You know, other tools to experience, you know, um, well, I would say, my, let's talk about mindfulness practices specifically. So other mindfulness practices could be simply, Maybe you're standing up, you're at work, and you're transitioning between meetings. And maybe it's just taking a couple of deep breaths. That could be mindfulness because you're stopping the thought patterns, you're breaking them up, and you're just allowing your body to return to what I call homeostasis or like this, this restful awareness where it gets to experience a couple of seconds or minutes maybe of just a little bit more peace of mind. Uh, journaling is another really amazing way to um, experience mindfulness. Um, you could just sit there and kind of, you know, journal, what am I grateful for? Or what brought me joy today? Um, or how did I show up for my team today? How did I show up for my family? Um, there's, you know, amazing resources out there with different journaling prompts. You know, I would say, you know, mindful eating. So my trick is trying to help people find ways to bring mindfulness into things that they're already doing. So mindful eating is that we usually eat a couple of meals a day. So turning off the music, removing all distractions, leaving your phone in another room, you know, eating with the TV off and just taking in all of the scents and the aromas of your food and, you know, chewing slowly and feeling the textures of the food in your mouth, that's mindful eating. I even joke that I do mindful toothbrushing <laughs> because I'm one of those people that runs around usually like starting the coffee pot, you know, organizing something in the bathroom while I'm brushing my teeth. So again, mindfulness, it, it's about finding ways to bring mindfulness into things that we're already doing. And these have major benefits for, um, helping to reduce like anxious thinking. It helps stop um, rumination. It helps us stop when we start catastrophizing. Um, it can help remind us uh, uh, to be in a space of non-judgment when experiences happen. So mindfulness is simply just, you know, being aware on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And meditation is a form of mindfulness. There's a couple of tools that people can use um, just to support them. And again, these are things that we've all heard of. Sometimes when I'm teaching, people are like, oh, I'm doing this. 
And I'm like, yeah, but are you doing it and putting all of your focus on this one thing? Because most of us are multitasking. So I, I used to be a chronic multitasker and I do believe this is one of the things that led to my mental health condition was this idea that I had to do more. I was sitting at my computer um, typing, eating, listening to a podcast, trying to talk to the person across from me and then doing all of these things at once. And I know that's how most of us are operating our lives. And so when we are practicing mindfulness intentionally, it's about cultivating awareness on one object, one experience in this present moment and being fully there for that in order to reap those benefits. And you're right, because as entrepreneurs, we always are wanting to push the envelope, you know, continue to work 40 to 80 hours a week, it feels like. And I think even now with COVID, we're all home. And so we don't have our routines anymore of getting dressed, you know, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, putting <laughs> your work clothes on. Some still do that, but I know a lot of people just end up in their comfy clothes, you know. And is yeah. there any, any resources of how to help people kind of still be in their routine to help them kind of de-stress when they're at home because they're they're more, they're in their comfort zone in a sense so that they feel like they can get more done listen i think my morning routine is the thing that sets me up for the day when i don't start my morning with my specific routine then that can throw off my day so i think it's really important to actually have a routine to have a routine in your day, not to be so rigid with it, that if things come up, life happens. It's okay to sometimes get off of that, but to, to cultivate awareness to get back on track. So this is what my morning routine looks like, just to give you some ideas. So I get up and I'll usually meditate before I go for a run. If it's super hot, then I try to do my run early and then I'll do my meditation after. And then I get ready, I have my breakfast, I have a certain you know, routine and pattern of like certain supplements and herbs that I take to help me manage my health in a specific routine. And then I try to get out the door. I am in a co-working space. So I try to get out the door by 8.30, 9 o'clock every morning. And that's my morning routine that sets me up for success. I look at my calendar every morning as part of that too, to say, okay, well, what do I need to do today? And then I, I usually am like, okay, these are the three or four things that I, I have to get done today. And that's it. Everything else is just all of the extras. It's kind of like the sprinkles on top of the ice cream. <laughs> but I actually do think that like, as much as there are days when I'm not in this routine, you know, at the beginning of this physical distancing, when, you know, the state of Michigan was shut down, my routine was all over the place. I was in a state of fear along with everybody else. But what really helped me stay centered and was, has gotten me to feel um, grounded and to feel this inner peace again is my mindfulness practice is having a routine is setting boundaries on you know boundaries not watching the news boundaries on these are the things that I will eat um, boundaries on who I'm spending my time with right now you know where is my energy going these are all things that I'm setting boundaries around so I think it's very very important for us to be thinking about you know, especially in the morning, what is the, what is the routine? And even if it's just, you know, maybe right now I'm feeling so crappy that all I can do is at least get up and say, today is going to be a great day. That could be your routine to start off every single morning. Could be one simple little thing when you get out of bed, say a positive affirmation, and that could be your routine. That's good enough. That's good enough. No, you're right. And I think, you know, like you said, I think people 
crammed so much in their schedule now because they are working from home. So they're like, oh, I'm going to do 100 things today. And mm-hmm. then 10 things in, they're like, uh-oh, how am I going to get rest of the 90 things that I have left on my calendar? And you're right. We have to pick and choose what's important for the day to get accomplished. Because we could have yeah. more things, but like you said, life happens. And in the mental health community, you know, we don't know what our day is going to look like. You know, we may be smooth morning and then someone may call and say, hey, I need help with this, this and this. And then your whole afternoon changes. And I think it's hard to get people to understand that when you work in the mental health community, that our days are sometimes uncertain. And what's a good way to get people to understand your workplace? Okay, my day may change. Please know that you're still important and your tasks are still important, but also know I have this other hat that I have to wear as well. Yeah. So... I want to share a short story about my experience as a manager um, dealing with my own condition and then also working with somebody that had um, opened up to me about their mental health condition. And I say this because the way that we were able to cultivate um, a relationship was all built on trust, psychological safety. And we were, would openly communicate about, listen, like I'm having an off day. So just bear with me. If I came across short with you, it wasn't about you. It was about experiences that I'm going through. I, I learned enough about her behaviors because she was able to educate me on what her triggers were. Um, you know, um, you know, certain ways that she needed to be set up for success with having very clear goals, not feeling overwhelmed with like, you know, the larger picture of things. We had to break things down into small, tiny goals that she could reach for every week. And it takes extra work as a manager. But the reality is, is that because we were able to cultivate a relationship built on trust and understanding, that helped us thrive. Now, I realize that not everybody has a manager like that. I realize that not all environments are as accepting of individuals that uh, need certain accommodations or maybe even just need a little bit more love and compassion for the experiences that they're going through. And this is why I'm so passionate about what I do is to create awareness that one in five U.S. adults is suffering from a mental health condition. You know several people in your circle, even if you don't identify with having a mental health condition, that do. So how can you support them? You know, and so it's about creating awareness on the stigma around mental health in the workplace. Doesn't make you weaker, doesn't make you any more um, ready for that promotion. It just means that you need to work a little bit differently, but we can all get to the same end goal. It's not about having that identified and that has to be followed specifically. So I would say that like for me and my experience, being able to be open about what I was experiencing set me up for success. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that it's like, if I express what I'm going through to my manager, I might be fired, you know, and that might be the case. But I can tell you, there are a lot of healing organizations out there that are doing this work, that are providing their managers their tools and how to be effective leaders and how to um, really create specific types of accommodations. So why would you want to work for a place that won't help you do that? And that can be a very scary thing to say. And you guys, there might be people out there saying, yeah, Libby, easier said than done. 
I left the corporate workplace because I was so burnt out and exhausted. And I had to heal, you know, and I'm still healing. But the reality is, is that I've had to make certain decisions in my life in order to set me up for success. And that was something that was individual for me. And it's about creating the reality of what I want to experience around me in co-creation with an employer that believes in helping people thrive. And so for me, it just comes down to communication. And I love what you're doing because you're helping to create awareness with all of your listeners on the variety of things that people can be experiencing. And this is what we need more of is people sharing their stories. The more people that feel empowered to share their stories without fear of judgment, without fear of um, feeling any less than, the greater that is for us to be able to create spaces where people can be themselves. They're, they're gonna, when people can feel free in an environment, they will do better work. Mm -hmm. And so it's helping people understand that. And that's why I think understanding even what is well-being. Well-being is not our physical health. It's our emotional health, our social um, relationships, intellectual health. You know, there's so many facets to that. And you're right. And I think the misconception is with mental health challenges, it's just your mental health. It, they don't realize it impacts your wellness, your self-care, your relationships, you in general. And I think by opening those conversations, opening those doors, people will start to see, okay, wait a minute. I have this, this, and this, just like this person. Let's connect. Yeah. Let's see how we can help one another. You're right. Communication and language is so important and how you could talk to someone once they've opened up to you. Because I know that people are afraid to open up because they don't know how the other person's going to react to what they're sharing with them. Yeah. I mean, I will even just say from my own personal experience, I, I was so naive to even what a mental health condition was. It wasn't until I went to therapy because of a breakup that I had that I realized as I got into these sessions, my, my therapist had said to me, I think that you might be experiencing anxiety and depression. And I was very resistant to have that label. It's like, no way, I'm totally fine. And she was like, eh, brain fog, not being able to sleep at night because of your to-do list, um, feeling overwhelmed, forgetting what, like uh, basic things that you know how to do, um, feeling really sad and crying for no reason. She was like, yeah, yeah, I think there's some things that we need to look at here. And so once I started to understand myself more, <laughs> And what this meant for me, then I became so much more compassionate for other people's situations. But I was so naive, you know, five years ago on what even a mental health condition was. I had my own stigmas. And this is, this is again, why I'm so passionate about creating awareness and how the, like, mental health conditions are impacting us in work and how we can give people tools and techniques to thrive in order for us to have a thriving business. Because there are, I do believe that employers have more of a responsibility than what we've ever taken credit for. You know, it's, I can't just walk away and say that's the employee's problem anymore. It's affecting amount of sick time. It's impacting our healthcare costs. It's impacting um, absenteeism. 
It's impacting customer service and how we interact with our customers. It's impacting so many things that are measurable. And I think the, one of the recent studies that I, that came, not recent, it came out several years ago was that, you know, because of mental health conditions, U.S. businesses are losing over an estimated $200 billion in earnings. These are tangible numbers that are now being like published by reputable sources. You know, and now not to mention this was pre-COVID. Right. So now imagine how this is being amplified because of the pandemic. Well, I shared on my couple episodes last week that I had taped that I read an article that 75,000 people will either die by suicide, alcoholism, or opioids as a result of COVID-19. 75,000 people because yeah. we're at home. A lot of us are scared of the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. And we're not having those conversations about mental health and COVID. It's how do we find a vaccine? How do we survive financially? But forgetting the impact it has on us mentally right now because we're home and it's like we don't get to see our friends, our family. The closest is a Zoom meeting or FaceTime or whatever type of technology you have, but it's not that human interaction anymore. Well, I do think so. I do think that at least some of the information I've been privy to is is um, getting at least attention to the fact that like our mental health is being impacted. You know, there was a, a study by Qualtrics that came out about um, how COVID-19 is impacting the workforce. There was also a study done by the Wellbeing Lab that released some amazing data. I have some of it in front of me here. Um, you know, some of the, the things they, they showed, and this was all, I think it was taken in March and just published in May. I think, I think it was a month of March when this was taken. And it said, their study said, this is from the Wellbeing Lab, 84% of U.S. workers reported that their levels of struggle have increased since the start of 2020 with their mental health. Um, and that a lot of this is due to um, people fearing worried and anxious about losing their jobs. So a lot of it is like this financial stress. You know, and then there's, you know, they said that only 13% of American workers said that they were consistently thriving. 13% of people feel like they're thriving. Like, that's ridiculously low. You know, and then you say, they said, um, two out of every 10 workers feel safe to share their struggles at work. So that's the other problem is that what we're talking about is that people don't feel safe to even be able to address with their managers that they're feeling like crap. That's a problem. That's not cultivating psychological safety within a workplace. And that impacts, look at all the conversations around diversity and inclusion right now. You know, this is all connected. It's a web of connectedness. So by focusing on our personal well-being, because we know we can't control anybody else outside of us but ourselves. But if we can focus on cultivating our well-being, it has like this multiplier effect. So you, you know, think about times when people have walked into a room and they look angry, they look very reactive. You're like, ooh, bad energy. Don't want to interact with that person versus somebody that walks in the room with like grace and ease and they have a smile on their face and they just, you're like, oh, I want to be around that person, right? We can sense that within seconds. So when we focus on our well being, we give other people permission to do the same. 
and it's like contagious. So part of my, part of what I like to share is, yeah, there's things that we could ask employers to be doing. There's a lot of um, things that we would like our managers to be doing differently. But at the end of the day, it starts with the inner work. We have to, we have to be able to look at ourselves and say, where can I grow and expand and transform in my emotions and feelings and reactions and limiting beliefs in order to experience you know, this fullness of life that we want to experience. Because then once that, once we start feeling differently, it's like the world around us just kind of starts to change. And it, it just starts with tiny habits. I know some days, you know, there are days where I just feel like I can't even do anything. But at the same time, I am doing something. Because if I say I can't do anything, but I am going to take five minutes to meditate and breathe, that's something. That's nourishment for, for myself in that moment. And those are the little things that can start to, you know, rewire the brain so that we prioritize these nourishing habits. And over time, we can cultivate awareness of, oh, that's anxiety, that's racing mind. Oh, I have brain fog. That means I might need a little bit of self-care right now. So instead of, you know, going out with friends tonight or um, running all of those errands, I'm just going to stay home and take care of myself. Do you think part of the reason why it's so hard for people to take care of themselves because they don't get the support from the ones closest around them, like their friends, their family, their significant other, which can end up kind of leading to them having the negative impact of not taking care of themselves because they feel like they don't have anybody around them that's, that's helping them through the good and the bad? So it could be. Interpersonal relationships are the number one predictor of well-being. So social relationships are very important, but you don't need anybody to give you permission to take time for self-care. So I think that's something that we have to learn is that we've been conditioned to think that if we take care of ourselves, it's selfish. And I'm speaking from experience, but the reality is, is that self-care is an action that I need to take for myself nobody else can give that to me. So it's sending boundaries for myself. It's having healthy and nurturing relationships for sure. But self-care starts with me. I do think that there are um, ways to set ourselves up for success by, um, you know, having supportive environments. But I also think that it's, it's really about our individual journey with that. And we have to say yes to nourishment. So then in a way, it's kind of like two-sided. It's like, yeah, like it feels really good to be supported by others and to have that support. But at the same time, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me um, or to practice meditation with me. I don't need somebody to, um, you know, just sit with me and just be and maybe listen to calming music. I can do that on my own. So I think it's both. The balance between the two, you know, you got to take care yeah. of yourself and then you got to have the good relationships, but most importantly, it's taking care of yourself. It's retraining your brain in a sense to know that it's okay to say, no, I'm going to stay in tonight. I'm going to just decompress. I'm going to turn my phone off for a couple of hours and just focus on me and what, how, how I'm feeling on the inside. Yeah, for sure. 
you mentioned a little bit about your organization. I, I'd love to hear more about it and, you know, how people, is it a way people can, is there a way for people to get involved in it or how does it work? Yeah, so I, um, I'm the founder of Blue Wave Wellbeing and we focus on working with organizations to bring um, playfulness um, and a playful mindset and a playful spirit into the workplace uh, in order to enhance well-being. So I think the one thing that my co-founder and I learned in our journeys is that we got caught up into this hustle and bustle of life of being very like, this is how we get from point A to point B. We wanted our lives to turn out perfectly so everything would have a plan. And we totally took the fun out of life. And so what we want to teach people is how do we show up with a playful mindset? with a playful spirit, when challenges and setbacks arise, how do we respond to those? How do we show up in a way where we can cultivate well-being by being a little bit more compassionate and being a little bit more flexible in our mindset? So that's basically what we teach and what we work with organizations to do. So um, we actually just recently rebranded. So we're working on our website, but the website will be uh, bluewavewellbeing.com, but blue is spelled B-L-U, so it's B-L-U uh, wavewellbeing.com. And then we're on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, and then LinkedIn as well, where we're publishing a lot more um, articles and things like that around well-being in the workplace. That's awesome. I always ask my guests, what's one piece of advice or advice, if you have more than one piece, you would give someone who's just starting their journey, you know, they with their mental health challenges and their well-being, what's what's one piece of advice you'd give to them? Or you can give more. It's just, I always like to ask <laughs> that, that question because people are always looking for inspiration to kind of help get them motivated to start taking that journey. Yeah. So there's a couple key things coming to mind. Uh, don't give up. There's thousands of tools and techniques that are out there that are backed by science, but that doesn't mean that they work for you. So it means finding what works for you in that moment. So I love, I have a toolbox of things that I go to. Some days it's meditation, some days it's journaling, some days it's a mindful walk. It doesn't really matter what it is, just choose for you that are nourishing to you and just know that those will change so don't give up keep trying different things that help you and support you wherever you're at in your journey I think the other thing to keep in mind is that nobody can tell you what's best for yourself only you can determine that so people have a lot of opinions there's a lot of researchers out there there's a lot of coaches like myself out there but what it's about is refining your inner compass and your inner intuition so that you know what's best for you in any moment. So I would say that cultivating that and that strength is one of the core things that you can do for yourself. I think the other thing too is that you are not alone. You are not alone. There are so many resources out here just like the things that you're sharing. Um, there's so many teachers out there, John Kabat-Zinn, um, who else do I go to? I love listening to Deepak Chopra. Oprah has her Super Soul Sundays. Um, there are so many people out there. Even if you just Google well-being researchers, you will start to you go in a rabbit hole with this stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> just to find tools to support you. So again, just think of you just have to come to light with what is what's on my heart right now. What are things I need to work on? And then focusing on that in that moment and not getting overwhelmed with the amount of information out there. 
just know what you know today is exactly what you need in order to support yourself. So yeah, so those are the things that are coming to mind. And I would just say too that, I always say that we talked a lot about self-care today. And so if you're listening to this right now, this probably means you need to take time for self-care. I do believe in synchronicities. I think that messages come to us in divine timing and exactly when we need them. So let this be, if you need permission, let this be your permission to take time for self-care. And to know that it's crucial that you fill your cup up in order to be able to give to the world. So that's what I wanted to share. That's really good advice. I'm going to be taking some of that too for myself because, you know, <laughs> I, I try self-care something I, I'm trying to be better at. Um, my self-care in the fall is watching football with my dad. My phone goes away and I watch yeah. football. But since sports are a little on limbo <laughs> right now due to COVID, I may not have my football in the fall. That's okay. <laughs> I usually just yell at the TV when the Cardinals do something really stupid. <laughs> that's my self-care is yelling at the TV. Hey, you know what you could do, though, is you could watch replays of all the games that they win. And then there you'd you be go. super excited all the there time. You <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I try, I try to find different things to do. That's my – I always look forward to the fall because I have football and I get to yell at the TV and – it's great. <laughs> well, yeah. And so this is a perfect example of the fact that self-care is personal. Well-being is not one, stra one, um, one strategy fits all. It's about finding what works for you, which is why the journey for well-being can sometimes be overwhelming. But I've always just said, and, and I don't know like your spiritual beliefs or anybody else's spiritual beliefs that will be listening to this. You might call it God, universe, the divine intuition. I, but I always set intention and I just say, give me the information and the resources that I need right now to help me thrive. And make it so obvious that I know when it's arrived that it's for me. And then it's just kind of trusting that that's going to come to us when we need it. So I, I love that example. So for me, like football wouldn't do it, but that's okay because that's for you. And that actually sounds super fun that you and your dad, you get to do that in relationship with somebody else. You get to share that experience. And that's so beautiful. We've been doing it since I was eight. So, I mean, when I was eight though, I didn't know that the offense was on what was the one that made the touchdowns. I thought it was like, no, you must, you, you took your nap too long. The defense is on because the defense actually just had a turnover. And he's like, that's the defense that just scored. Oh, okay. So then I started learning the difference between offense and defense, but it was fun. Aww. It was a fun moment when I was eight. I love know? that. Yeah. <laughs> Libby, thank you so much for joining us today. And, you know, we'd love to have you on again later on in the year. Uh, I think what you're doing is, is phenomenal and it's such an important tool right now for for workplaces to know how to help their employees and help them have a safe place where they can say hey you know what today I just had a really bad anxiety attack at home and you know I just need maybe to come in late today is that okay you know I think having that relationship that communication and that trust like you said is so important as we grow as individuals whether it's personally yeah. or professionally yeah, I mean, my intention for this whole pandemic is that I hear a lot of people saying, I just want things to go back to normal. And I sit back and I question and I just kind of say, do you really? Because my perspective is that this, the pandemic is humanizing the workplace. It's allowing us to see people in different environments. The struggles are coming to light. 
So there's so much beauty that's coming to this. And there are so many examples of organizations that are putting mental health, you know, front and center. And um, yeah, I so appreciate the invite to just share this because I do think that the deeper we get into this, um, you know, pandemic and, you know, with the, you know, the um, rallies going around around social injustice, there's so many amazing and beautiful things that are coming from, yeah, stressful situations, but things that might not have been able to shift the world that we live in without something this drastic happening. So I think that this will wake organizations up to the fact that well-being needs to be front and center. And as a part of that, a huge piece of that is definitely our emotional and mental health of, of the workers. So I would, I am seeing that more and more companies are putting their resources here. So my hope is that that just continues. Mine too. Yeah. Like I said, fingers crossed, even after 2020 is over and we get to go to concerts and sporting <laughs> events and movies, mental health, mental health challenges, mental health well-being will all continue to thrive past 2020 and that we continue to have these conversations and we continue to use all these incredible resource, resources that are out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. I love what you're doing, by the way. Keep at it. Well, thank you. Again, thank yeah. you so much for joining me on this Monday morning, noon, depending on where you live. But, you know, <laughs> I, again, um, we her podcast will be out next week. We'll have all her social media links, how you can get in touch with her, how you can find her organization, because this is a great resource for anybody who just wants to know more about their well-being, their self-care, how to meditate, mindfulness, because it's all important parts of our journey to thrive. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. You guys enjoy your Monday, and we'll see you guys next time.